Well, I hope to be. Oh, do you? Well, it's nice sitting down one-on-one with everybody, getting them to tell their deepest, darkest secrets. And I don't think that's the point, but we're, we're, we're not going to go that far. But Well, the point of the podcast is definitely, of course, to highlight people's businesses and the interesting things that they're doing. Aren't you highlighting Palisade too? Isn't that kind of... Highlighting Palisade, uh-huh. connecting people to get to know their neighbors, but also, yeah, like getting them to know that person. So my goal is by the end of every interview that you'll not only know a little bit about their business, but more so you'll know about that person. Awesome. So if someone came in here after listening to this, they would know you or feel like they knew you. And I think that would be a positive thing for the town. Let's start it. So with that in mind, Brandy Peterson. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you making the time. Thank you. It's cool to be here at Duroco. It's Palisades newest winery. Yes. Do you guys call yourselves a winery, I guess, because you're not yes. producing wine? Yes. But you're aggregating wine from all over town, right? Yes. And our open date was March 31st. So we've been up, pro- what, six weeks? Six weeks. Brand new. Seems longer than that. It does. <laughs> you're telling sure me. You. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a lifetime. Have you ever opened a winery before? No, but I used to own a wine store. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So retail. And what does that mean, a wine store? Just like a liquor store, but we only sold wine, wine, canned wine, non-alcoholic beverages. So just like if you would walk into a liquor store, but we were wine-centric. Okay. And mm-hmm. where was that? In Panama City, Florida. In Florida. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into all that. I want to get into how Jeroco came to be and everything like that, but that's a great segue. So you haven't been here that long. In Palisade? Yeah. Yeah. So we've lived here. It was a year, March 15th. Okay. And why did you move out here? We had lived here prior to this eight years ago, and we really loved the area, so we wanted to move back. But you're from the South, I'm getting in your accent. You're not from Western Colorado. No, I am from Enterprise, Alabama, originally. I was born in Georgia, brought up in Alabama. Um, When I was uh, 15 years old, I moved to Panama City, Florida, which is still considered the South. It's in the panhandle of Florida. It's about an hour away from Alabama. And then I... Went to college at the University of Florida when I was 17. In Gainesville? In Gainesville, Florida. I've always been curious about Gainesville. They call it the swamp, right? They do call it the swamp. And the bar, well, when I went to college there, the there was a famous bar called the swamp right in the middle of downtown Gainesville across from the university. Well, let's back up a little bit because I'm curious about your childhood growing up in the South. I grew up in Philly area. But one of my uncles lived in Huntsville, northern Alabama. Okay. I got a little bit of a taste from him of just hearing stories, but I can't really imagine what it was like to actually grow up there. My uncle had moved down there, but he was a Yankee at heart from oh, the right. area. So he said that everyone called him a Yankee for the first 10 years he was there. There was a bit of Oh, I'm sure it never period. wore off. You don't think? I mean, it's Southern people are so protective of their culture. And um, they're also, you know, I find people from the South have an incredibly great sense of humor for the most part. And if there's a, a way to dig at you or to make fun, and if you're a Yankee, that's definitely up there on their list. What do you um, mean by protective of their culture? What does that mean? It's, it's, it's sacred. It's very... Like you have secrets you can't tell us? No, 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 no. It's just, um, it's, I always liken it to like Italian culture. Because it's so, it's food-centric, it's family-centric, it's very tight. 
in the South, you're cousins of cousins of cousins of cousins. You know what I mean? Like they're just very protective of and like to make fun of people, the outsiders, even, even the state that you're in. Like people will say, oh, you're from Georgia. If you're in Alabama or if you're in Georgia, they'll say, oh, they might do that in Alabama. You know, <laughs> it's just a way of, I personally think that we have a great sense of humor and we like to poke at people and have a good time and, um, but still very protective of our culture because it's an amazing culture. I find it very interesting as a traveler because it's unique. The South is unique in the sense that if you travel to a city like Boston, for example, the people there have a very distinct accent. Right? Yes. But Boston is such an international city that all kinds of people are living there. They're used to hearing different accents, so you don't necessarily stand out. If you travel in the South, the minute you open your mouth, someone knows you're not from there, right? Of and course. You're laughing and smiling at me. So, <laughs> like, you guys keep an eye out for Yankees, kind of thing. Is that? No, I mean we poke fun, but we're not. We don't have our eye out or anything like that. So, I lived in California for seven years, and I definitely lost some of my accent. And when I'm around other Southern people, it will definitely pick up. Or, like, if I'm trying to be extra nice, like when I waited tables in college, I definitely, like, used my Southern accent. It's, I lovely, and I have lost it a little bit, not fully, but I think there is some like sweetness about it. And like James always says, he had met some people that were from the South and he'll say like, there's some comfort to it. Yeah. I love you that. know, I, I agree. It's a hominess. It is. However, and I you know, in the South, there's different Southern accents too. So you can tell someone from Alabama versus Georgia versus. Louisiana. I don't know if it's like state centric, but like you could definitely tell when someone's from Louisiana because they, some of, most of them have like a deeper Cajun type accent. Even people that it's not an older and then you've got Old South and you've got New South accent. And then you, yeah, I would think people from Georgia have a little bit of a different accent than people from Alabama. It also depends on what part of Alabama you're from. You know, there's parts of Alabama that are deep South. There's parts of Florida, Northern Florida that have different accents. Then there's Mississippi and then there's Tennessee. I mean, they are all slightly different and the nuances you would only pick up on if you're really from that area. The people from Savannah. too. The food way is much different too. Say in different Louisiana, areas, Cajun, absolutely. You have uh, I don't know what Alabama. What is Alabama? Like what did you grow up eating? Collard greens, chitlins. It also depends on where you are. Like if you're eating out or if you're eating at home. Because at home, your mom makes a lot of casseroles. So that's not that's a stereotype for a reason. Oh yeah, okay. my mom made some weird food growing up and like, things that I don't, wouldn't eat now. Not because they're not good necessarily. I think I was burnt out on a lot of things that were made and very questionable. And when you're being served those things as a child, you're like, I'm not going to, if I don't have to eat that again, like pimento cheese. I love pimento cheese. And most people from the, that are not from the South love it. And it's also a dish you'll see at places that are Southern, like, um, what's the name of that chicken salad place? There's different franchises that are based in the South that you'll see outside of the South and they'll serve pimento cheese. And that's something as a child that my mom made me for lunch. And as a, it's like avocados for a baby. You're like, ew, you know? And so now as an adult, I will not eat that. I love pimento cheese on crackers. I feel like it's not real cheese, but it's so satisfying and good. Really? Do you, is it a real cheese? It is. Well, when you make it at home, it is. How do you make it? So it's a can of pimentos. 
That's the only thing that's not. And then you shred the cheese and then it's mayonnaise and then oh. spices. I was thinking that it was some kind of cheese on its own, but you're just adding a mix to it. Yeah, so, so it's a cheese this is a very interesting it. conversation because my girlfriend, Sarah, who also is originally from Colorado, but has done a lot of traveling, she thought the same thing. We were talking about it the other evening. She said, oh, I just thought Puno cheese came in a jar, yeah. like a can. And I was like, no, when you make it at home, like your mom makes it, it's a jar of pimentos, those little red peppers. Yeah. And then you just, you shred cheddar cheese and it's mayonnaise and then different spices. Put mayo in it. Yeah. Oh, that's what makes it's just it like so a, good. And you do it in a food processor to blend it all up. You can. If you shredded the cheese, some people don't. And that's, see, that's another thing. You're going to go to different households in the South. They're going to make it differently. It's like your grandma's cheese ball. Nobody makes it the same. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like the fried chicken in the South or something like that. Wherever you go, it's going to be different. Yeah, or people are going to marinate the fried chicken differently. Every every household has their own way that they kind of make different dishes. Hush puppies. I never got into hush puppies. They're oh, just too heavy. For they're me. so delicious. Yeah, do you make them still today? I Yes, I do. One of my ex-boyfriend's moms used to make the best hush puppies, and she had like a certain mix that she used. I'll still order it online, the mix, just to make hush puppies because it's the best hush puppy to me. There's a lot of things we do in the South, too, that are so communal that we don't do other places. Like we'll have roasts and crab boils and oyster roasts and to get people together and buy food and like bags of oysters. And we don't just barbecue. Like anybody can have a barbecue, but you just have these big communal things and you throw crab out on the table and that's pretty legit. If you have a picnic table and yeah. just cover it with some paper, throw the crabs out there, mm-hmm. a couple cases of beer. And those aren't like hours. events for us. Like those are parties to other people, I think, outside the South. But you'll kind of, sometimes you'll like go over to someone's house. They'll randomly just be having a crab boil. Really? Yeah. Where do my, they get the crabs from in the South? Is Alabama Florida. Coast, oh, from Florida. The coast of Alabama. Yeah. Is Mobile cool? That's the main coastal town, right? Mobile. Is it? No, it's Mobile. Mobile. Um, Yeah, it's awesome. There's some certain areas. I always grew up, I heard that um, Mardi Gras was was originated in Mobile, Alabama. Is that true? I don't know. I've never researched it, but that's the rumor. I'll have my team fact check that. They also have your team, (laughs) Will. Um, I know they have big parties for Mardi Gras in Mobile also, but that's the rumor. Are the beaches nice? I know it's a big cruise ship. They're the most beautiful beaches in the world. In Alabama? Well, in the panhandle of Florida, Panama City, Port St. Joe, going into Destin, 30A, Fort Walton, um, over into Gulf Shores, Alabama, that whole stretch of panhandle, which does go over into Alabama, are the most beautiful beaches in the world. Why do you think so? The white sand, the texture of the sand, and the clear water. There's days off the pass in Florida. You can look down and see 20 feet all the way to the bottom, crystal clear. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. Has your southern accent ever been viewed as a negative thing? I had a friend when I lived in Denver. She was from Memphis, Tennessee, and she worked religiously to get rid of her accent because she said people didn't take her seriously hearing this bubbly, homey accent. I can see that. You could. I can I can process that as being maybe accurate information, but it's never been true for me. You never, you never felt judged by it or anybody assuming that? No, I don't. I've always used it in a positive way, you know, as a woman, especially to like get what I want or to be, ha- offer better customer service or to. So you're using it as a weapon. No, not a weapon. Your, it's, your a fr- it's a friendliness <laughs> thing. You know, it comes off so much more friendly. Can you 
bust it out a little more for us here? Can I don't you, know if I can. I would have to have like another Southern person in the room. Like, yeah. And you have to imagine too, like, um, so I, I'm adopted, but I grew up in an Italian family. And so I did have family from like um, New Jersey, South Florida. My dad actually went to high school in South Florida in Naples, which is not Southern at all. So I was around and influenced by people that weren't 100% from the South. And that's why I always say the Italian culture and Southern culture are so similar because I grew up in a household that was Italian and Southern. But also old Southern accents are not as thick as some of what you hear today. Like my grandma, her accent wasn't as thick Southern. It was more of like a slow drawl. It was very beautiful. And so I don't think that my accent as it's, has ever been as thick as some of the ones that you hear like in movies or on television. So your family, you, you said you were adopted. Mm-hmm. Was the family that adopted you, they were also Southern but Italian? They were. So my great-grandparents came from Red Bank, New Jersey. Wow, that is right near where I grew up. Really? Like a stone's throw away. Yeah. Well, that's so funny. But I don't obviously have not had any exposure to that area. My grandmother and grandparents on both sides, mom and dad's sides, grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. Both of my parents were born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, Montgomery's got some history. It's great history. Big time. Very interesting. And as a child growing up in Alabama... Um, I think for most people, we were talking about this the other day, like, and I don't know if you know about this, like every state has their own like elementary school curriculum and they do different projects. Usually the same, you'll talk back to people that go to school like 10 years later. You're like, oh, did you do that project in third grade? Oh yeah, I did that project. In Alabama, all the kids always went to the capital of Alabama, toured the governor's mansion, saw the underground railroad, went to the um, White House of the Confederacy. And the history there is just thick and amazing and they've got some cool stuff and Montgomery even and we didn't study that growing up but just the history of like um what is the uh, place like Martin Luther King there's junior there's a lot of history about that there and Rosa Parks and it's just a really I ask my parents about that all the time because they were probably in their late 20s when all that happened really yeah and so we used to talk about like what was that like like living there, was it a buzz? Were people talking about it? Like, did you read it in the newspaper? Like, what was it like to be engulfed in that, you know? Tell us what they say. My dad always said there really wasn't a lot of talk about it in his circle of friends, that they knew that it was happening, but it wasn't like as big of a deal in their everyday kind of talk. It was just like news, like something happens to you today, you hear it in the news. And that was kind of, he didn't, my grandfather, my step-grandfather worked for George Wallace at the Capitol of Alabama. Both of my parents also worked at the Capitol when they were very young, early 20s. Um, so they both worked for the state. And so um, they were in the government. I remember when, um, or I've seen pictures, I should say, of a lot of the history that you, we read about in books actually happening. My grandpa had like actual photos. Wow. Yeah. So you still have all that? I do have some of it. You got to hang on to it. I That's do. So I cool. definitely do. I have a lot of photos of things like that. And also like the history of, because Panama City, where I grew up for my high school years, I would say was a place that for 
probably from the 30s, 40s, 50s, definitely when I was a child, everyone that lived in the South vacationed there. Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. Like it was a Southern. So there's no one you talk to that doesn't know where that is. And I have a lot of pictures of my parents vacationing there in the 50s. And you can see like pieces because now it's all hotels and high rise condos. But it used to be like, you know, old roller coasters and amusement parks and putt golf and all these cool little old places. And my parents were like in these funny bikinis and they used to go down there and dance, and it was very Alabama-centric. So there was a little place called Little Beeham, and Little everybody Beeham. would go there and dance. Yeah, and I've got pictures of all that stuff, wow. and I think that's cool. What was your time there like? How far away did you actually live from the beach in your high school days? You mean you're surrounded, okay, but so 10 you're minutes. Okay, right by the water. Okay, so you were growing up boating, every fishing, day, every day. swimming. Mm-hmm. What a life. Yeah. With your high school friends just cruising out. And oh, yeah. Because everybody had a boat. Yeah, there's a, there's a boating. Florida without a boat. No, there's, it's a boating culture. That's what was such a culture shock when I moved to California. I had this perception that it was going to be the same way. And nobody boats or. It's more sailing in California. Yeah. Like it's a very. It's it also depends beach. on where you live. Like if you're in Manhattan Beach, you might have a boat. But I lived in the Santa Barbara area and people a lot of people had sailboats there but you're not you're not on the boat every day like you are in florida yeah florida nice weather all the time yeah culture is on and you get on your boat and all your friends and you sit out there in the middle of the bay and you all like have floats and you just it's a party it's not like that in california and the water's so cold out there it's just totally different so i was kind of like bummed but there's a boating culture. There's also like a skiing, wakeboarding, jet skiing. Because when I was in college, I waited tables. I also worked at a boat rental place. And um, so you, everywhere you go, people rent out jet skis and boats for all the tourists. And I would wake up at 5 a.m. and go out to the boat place and rent out boats and jet skis and do jet ski tours and all that stuff until 3 o'clock. And then I would leave and walk across the street to wait tables. And I would wait tables till 11 o'clock at night. Do you have to know how to boat to rent a boat? Do they just rent it to kind of... You don't have to have any experience to rent a pontoon boat. Okay. They're nice. They're cruisers. Yeah. I've spent quite a bit of time in Florida, as you may or may not know. Mm -hmm. Julia... uh, Oh, Miami. Yeah, she lived in Miami for eight years Mm -hmm. before moving here. So when we were first dating in long distance, I would cruise down there quite often. She had a full-time job. I was a little more flexible. So most of the time, I would go down and visit her. And when I first started going down... I was very skeptical of Florida. Clearly, I had been before, but I had never interacted with it so locally. And I used to make this joke. We would be driving through Miami or somewhere in South Florida, and we would go over a bridge. I'd be like, look, honey, the highest point in Florida. Here we are. Just being a smart ass and doing my dad joke kind of thing. Those are some big bridges, though. Some of them, yeah. I would do it more so on any bridge just to be annoying. But yeah, they have <laughs> a lot of, uh, well, there's a lot of water down there. So mm-hmm. I would imagine, I don't think. Did you guys ever drive to Key West? We have, yeah. Yeah. Several times. It's great down there. Yeah. I love the Florida Keys. That's more your, I mean, don't pe- people just like walk around naked? I don't know if it's like that anymore. What kind of places do you think I go to? No, I just more of a hippie <laughs> lifestyle, definitely. Key West is just a huge party. Have you yeah. Been? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just huge, huge party. Mm-hmm. The first time I went, I was a budget traveler and it's very expensive there. So I just rented an SUV in Miami and I drove down and I got a spot in a parking garage for 25 bucks a night 
and I just went out partying at night and I came back and I just slept in my car for two nights straight. Luckily I had a spot on the very top of the parking garage. Mm -hmm. So it was open air and I could, had a view. I had the best view. Wow. How old were you? It doesn't matter. It was like (laughs) last year, but it's okay. No, no, I'm kidding. This was probably 10 years ago, something like okay. that. I don't know. It's just in my budget phase. But that's probably not something I wouldn't do now. Um, I, I believe it. You know. <laughs> but the keys are great. The one thing, the misconception about the keys is that people think it's such a beach destination. But there's not a lot of beaches in Key West or really any of the keys. Uh, it's more about boating and fishing. Island getting, life. Exactly. Yeah, totally. the water. If you go to the Keys and don't get out on the water, I feel like you've really missed out. There's some cool dives out there, too. Um, My ex-husband dove a lot, and I remember people in the diving community always talking about there's like a Jesus statue underwater. Yeah, like a bunch of cool stuff about that. Um, But those are two like completely opposite cultures, South Florida and North Florida. Really? Yeah. North Florida is more like the South. More live oak tree. Like, remember Jacksonville is kind of... Yeah, Jacksonville has some of that, yeah. And then St. Augustine is also a really beautiful area and has a lot of history. That's the oldest city in America. It is. And so there's a lot of history there. A lot of kids go there for a field trip, I think when they're in middle school. But South Florida is more like like where you're from culture. A lot of Northerners live down there. Right, New Yorkers going. Correct. Northeasterners, for sure. Yeah, I really settled in. I I grew to love South Florida. I kind of nerded out on it. The Everglades are amazing to adventure in, even outside the Everglades. Big Cypress, the Fakahachi. I learned some just really cool things, even though there's no elevation change. Small, minute changes, like an inch, for example. The alligators, you know, gators everywhere. And they waddle in the mud. Right, so they'll dig these pits, and they make make a pit that's just a foot d- deep, six inches deep, couple inches, whatever. But they're so important to the ecosystem because most of the land is flat. Mm-hmm. Even a small change like that, a foot, couple inches, makes a huge difference in where water collects. Oh, and so all these just tiny, tiny changes in elevation uh, will really drastically affect how the wetlands are. Interesting. Yeah, and I never really thought of it that way. Uh, but obviously water is going to take the passive least resistance. So as they've been taking gators out and gators are getting pushed out of their environments, they're having more trouble with water control because a lot of the animals that will naturally regulate it by digging pits and forming these areas for the water to gather are no longer, or they're in less numbers now. So the I alligators re- are in less numbers? I believe so. Or just generally speaking, wildlife as we encroach upon their habitats. How was growing up for gators for you? Yeah, they were in our backyard. Did they go in your pool? No, we didn't have a swimming pool. We lived on the water and we had a boat dock and they would come in our backyard. Did you ever have any unpleasant encounters? No, the ones that came in our yard were tiny, not very big. Yeah, and we just kind of, we had a screened in back porch and we would just let the dog into the back porch and let him bark at it. It was a joke to us. Uh, I never saw, like, the only place we really saw big ones was at the sanctuary, the zoo, or at some of the uh, roadside gator stops. Because there was, when I was growing up, a place where, you know, the guy would stick his head inside the gator mouth. That was a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. And Tiger King, of course, like that kind of stuff. Like all the animal tricks that go on these days. Yeah, but with gators. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, so are gators like bears in the sense that if you see a 
a baby, then the mom is around, or are they not as protective? I have young? no idea. Okay. I know I know nothing about them. They're just something that is definitely like everywhere. So it's so normalized to you growing up. It was it wasn't even something you thought twice about. Just no. As a matter of fact, where I grew up, there's a place called Econfina Creek, and it's a natural spring. There's a lot of natural springs in northern Florida. Yeah. And um, freshwater springs that are coming correct. up into the salt water. Yes. Attracts the manatees. Those. Yes. Of things, right? And there was this place called Econfina, and it was also a a place where Indians would in, back in the day. It was a route for them for trade. Huh. It's a really long river or creek or whatever it's actually called. But um there was a livery up there, a guy that and his wife I think that rented out boats. So you could do a canoe trip and you could do a half day trip or an all day trip. And I remember too, you know, when um paddleboards got more popular, you just wouldn't even rent a canoe. You would just get on your paddleboard or sometimes people would have inflatables or whatever. You basically just take like a bunch of stuff and float on the river several times. Cause I worked at a restaurant where a lot of my friends were from out of town. I worked at a tourist seafood restaurant and we would go on the river and we would always see gators like right there in the water or right there on land while you're in the water. And they would all freak out and I wouldn't even flinch which I'm sure I should have flinched, but I was just like, oh, there's a gator. And, and they never messed with you. They never messed with me. Would you have jumped me. in and swam right there? No. No, so I'm not stupid. Right. Yeah, yeah no, but I don't, I just never like, I didn't look at them and be like, oh my gosh, you know. Well, they're pretty docile, right? They're kind of in my They in my seem opinion. so. I think that's the misconception, right? I mean, they're, pro- they're probably very uh, strong, oh, mean. They're dinosaurs. Yeah. But they're also Zen masters. They just, they can sit there all day. You know this. You've seen them. Sure. <laughs> like they just, they will sit there and not move. A bird oh, can yeah. land on their nose yeah. and they won't move. Yeah. They're just kind of very, very relaxed and chill. There's hundreds of them at the zoo in Panama City. And that's all, they literally, they're like statues. That's what I'm saying. They, are they don't, master, not an eyeball. Master meditators. They really are. Just totally chill. It's funny you mentioned the... Indian tribe. Do you remember what they, what tribe they were? No. Because down in South Florida, the Seminoles lived down there and they used to build these things called chickies and they were uh, platforms on stilts that mm-hmm. would be in the Everglades oh. and they would use them to sleep on. And so they would paddle around the Everglades and there's very little dry land out there. So they would build these structures. And today in Everglades National Park, they have the wilderness waterway where it's, I've been there. I think it's 90 miles yep. or something from Everglades City to Flamingo. Mm-hmm. And you can actually stay on the chickies. They're redone really? now, but they're built in that seminal That's style. That's so cool. So you can take a multi-day canoe trip and just sleep on these platforms in the middle of nowhere, fish for your dinner every night. I'm sure you see a ton of gators ton out of gators. there. I, my buddy Ted and I went, he lives here in Junction. And on day two of our trip, we were taking a fish off the line and he dropped my a pair of pliers into the water mm-hmm. and it was our only pair of pliers it was probably in six feet of water we could look down and pretty much see it it was a little murky but depending on where we put our head we're like okay i think there it is it took us overnight and into the next day to get the courage to dive in and, and get it and eventually i dove in went down and got it and it was the scariest two seconds of your yeah, life I mean, like, it was all mental <laughs> 
But what if something's down there? There's so much stuff in Florida that can get you snakes. And, oh, yeah. You know. Did you ever go to any of the springs? I've been to Crystal River, which oh, I Oh, I've been love. there. Yeah. I loved Crystal River. Julie and I went when she lived there on a uh-huh. trip. We saw, we snorkeled with manatees. Oh, yeah. It was so Aren't they special. weird animals? Like, I'm, I mean, like, they're beautiful they're and weird. all that. But yeah, they're weird. They have this fuzzy little mouth, and they're basically a sea cow. Well, they look like a seal, but they're like... Huge. They're a blob. They're a blob. They're a blob. Yeah. Yeah, they're strange looking. Kind of docile hippos or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a really hippo weird. with a tail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with a fish tail. What did you do in Crystal River? Same thing. Just chill. I yeah. mean, I, I don't um, snorkel, but um, and I don't dive, but I uh, swim. You don't snorkel? I don't snorkel. Why not? I'm not, I don't, I don't prefer it. You don't like to see underwater? I do, but I just put a mask on and look underwater. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that snorkeling, though? I don't like the... Oh, the tube. I don't... And I can't feel like I don't have open breathing. I don't like that. A lot of people struggle with that when they first start snorkeling. Yeah. Now the full face masks have become popular. Have you seen that with just the mm-hmm. one tube out the back? But they're actually very dangerous because sometimes CO2 gets trapped in your mask. Oh. And people will just pass out and, and die. I'm good on that. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Use the old school, just the goggles with the breathing tube. Free dive. Or free dive. Yeah. So you'll just put a mask on and swim around yeah. and just put your head up to breathe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're snorkeling. You're just not no. keeping your face in there. Yeah. No. Yeah. Did you ever spearfish or anything like that? I've done a lot of different types of fishing. Yeah, I've gig fished. So in, What's uh, gig fishing? So in Florida, or in, I don't know, and I'm sure they do this a lot of different places, um, they fish for flounder. And so you get on the boat, you get on a flats boat at night with a gig it's basically like this really long pole with a little fork on the end of it spear yeah but it's not you know spear fishing when you're in the ocean 30 miles offshore and you've got a spear it's much different this is a gig okay. it's hand and it, it doesn't look the same either and you're on a flats boat and you have lights under the front of your boat and the front of the boat is flat completely flat you can walk around up there and um you are in about it's also flat because you're in about a foot or two of water. You're at the shore, and they got this light under because flounder, they sit underneath the sand. They're flat fish. Correct. Their eyes are on the top of their head. Well, they're on the or side of their head. Side. I don't know what they're the top. They're weird-looking fish. They're weird-looking. They're delicious. And so you just And you wait. Down. You have to be super quiet, and you stand on the front of the boat, and you see if you can see them, and you gig them. That mm-hmm. sounds really cool. It is really fun. If you like peace and quiet, it is fantastic. Cause you just, it's very peaceful out there and you can hear the, the wildlife and you just sit out there, until drink beer until you're brutally murdered. Until you brutally murder the fish. Yeah. Like so peaceful. Or get brutally <laughs> murdered when you're accidentally on someone's land. Really? That happens. There's a lot of crabbing in that area too. Very territorial for that kind of stuff. Very right? territorial. I have been accidentally not knowing the rules and being caught doing things like that too. Really? Yeah. It's funny too. Like everybody has a, at homes and everybody has a boat dock and most people have a crab trap hanging off their boat dock. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you'll go in there, you'll check it every once in a while and eat some crab, right? I would. But some people make money and they go out into the bay and they drop traps and they know where all their traps are. And yeah, I've, I've taken some crabs out of them and almost gotten in trouble. I won't tell anyone. No, okay. Well, too late now. <laughs> <laughs> Why does Florida have such a weird reputation? The newspaper headlines of Florida man, of course, things like Tiger King don't help. There's a bunch of crazy people down there. What does that mean? 
There's a bunch of crazy people. Aren't there crazy people I think people everywhere? are very colored. Just like very just like eccentric. Yeah. And the, so in and I think too, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think people in that area have a really great sense of humor. They don't mind making fun of themselves and definitely making fun of other people. And so I think there's a lot of stories that come out of that. There's also a lot of history. And so there's a lot of old wives tales in the South and all over Florida. And, you know, if you come and are brought up in that area, you're part of all that history and all those wives tales, you know, stories that your mom and your dad have told you. And you like, you grow up and you're like, did you hear that same story? You know, your kids, you know, matching notes and you're like, oh yeah, my mom would scare me and try to tell me these things. You're like, I wonder if that's true, especially in little towns that you live in. Like ghost stories kind of stuff? Kind of. Alabama's really ghosty. I remember growing up, I had that book, 13 Alabama Ghosts. Oh, I, I haven't read that one. <laughs> it's And it's really, it's it's got history. So it tells the story of these people, different. I think all the locations are kind of like historical locations, if I remember right. I still have the book. I, I guess we don't think of, Saint, you know, St. Augustine, we mentioned already, is the oldest Tons state Tons of ghost history there. We don't think of there. Florida as one of the oldest states but the Spanish were there very early, right yep. off the Caribbean. So it is one of the oldest places. In it really the US is. To have all that interaction. So going. much great history in, in Florida. So how'd you make your way down south to open your wine store? Or wait, your wine store was up north? Or it was in Panama City. In Panama City. Mm -hmm. okay. Downtown Panama City. How did that City. all come together? I went to college for interior design and had been doing interior design for a really long time and was just ready for a change. And I had lived in California for six or seven years. And oh, so you went from college to California. So I've lived a lot of different places. I went from college to Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta for four years. I went to college there. And then um, my dad had a heart attack and I went back to Florida and I finished my college degree online for like six months at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. And um, after living in Atlanta, I moved back to Panama City for a little bit. And then I met my ex-husband and we moved to California. And so um, I lived there for six or seven years and really, really fell in love with wine. Got passionate about it, researched it, drove all over the state, staying in different places just to learn about wine. Hmm. I really... Was a hobby at the time? Just... I mean, I think it was more of a passion. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't like really doing anything with it. I was just really... I love history and I love wine. And I think, you know... I started going to Napa a lot and really like falling in love with wine. But then when I started drinking wine in central California, I fell in love with like the mission history and the, um, William Randolph Hearst history. I used to go up to Paso Robles and I would, um, drive around and drink wine all day and then try to figure out ways to research William Randolph Hearst and the Hearst castle. Have you been to the Hearst castle? Uh, several. I was used to, I used to be obsessed I've been several times as well. It's I amazing. Used to, I don't know if I told you this. I used to live in Santa Barbara. Oh, did you? Uh, for three years. Yeah, I don't know if we have to get all into it now. But so I ran those same circles and I would go up to Hearst Castle. And William Hearst, famous as a publisher for inventing yellow journalism. Yes. The art of selling the news. So mm -hmm. thanks for that, William. Uh, <laughs> but beautiful, beautiful estate. Did you ever see the zebras he had on his property? Yes. He used to have that exotic zoo. Seen the airport. Yeah. But did you know that you can stay on that property? I didn't know that. So there is a, I don't know if a lot of people know about it or if it's like a secret they don't want given away. And I think uh, some people in the military know about it because some people go out there and do FEX, field exercises. So there is a hunting lodge on that property. 
and um, you can actually book it like a hotel and stay in there. Really? Mm-hmm. And there's, I've stayed there several yeah. times. There's gaucho rooms on one side where the gauchos used to stay. And then there's tower rooms, which are named after, I believe, like different celebrities. It's been so long. I feel like I maybe made that up in my mind, but I feel like there was like a Clark Gable room or, um, and then there's like this big area with food where the fireplaces look like houses. They're so big. I mean, it's a gorgeous property, but you can go. And it's because I was so obsessed when I found out about this, I was like, I have to stay here as much as possible. Why were you so obsessed? I love architecture and I love history. And I just was, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful home. And the history behind it and celebrities stayed there and the parties that he threw. And I also really love Western culture. And I thought it was so, and my dad was a pilot. There's just a lot of connections and it just fascinated me. The fact that he made it where no one could ever build on most of that land, I think is also really cool. I I love California. I just love the whole culture. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful state. That area, Central California is especially gorgeous. There's something special about it, right? Yeah, it's where cowboys meet surfers. Yeah. It's all this ranch land, but right on the coast. Yes. So you can drive into Paso very easily or San Luis Obispo, but then you go to any of those beach towns, San Simeon, Morro Bay, Pismo. Monterey. Yeah, there's just so much good coast. It really is. I would say from Santa Barbara up to Monterey area is the most some of the most beautiful country i agree and most people don't really see it they just drive the one yeah and they blow through it in a day and i've done that Ruan's amazing. i've driven from san diego all the way north on the one how many days it took a long time it wasn't it wasn't planned originally we i think we were driving from san francisco and we were just going to go home and then we kind of like got a couple hours in and we said let's do it because yeah. it's so, so gorgeous. And we, we were debating whether we had the time because it adds a day or two onto your trip. For sure. And but you was... want it to add the time. You don't want to get on the one. Yes. And be in a rush not appreciate it. Absolutely. Just jump on the five and cruise. I down. love San Diego too. San Diego is amazing. I spent two weeks there, at Lip, you know, and stayed in Point Loma, which I had spent a lot of time in San Diego as a child growing up because my dad took me to California a lot. But when you're on tourist trips, you don't really see certain areas. I didn't even know Point Loma existed. And I think it's the most beautiful area of San Diego. What did you like about it? I liked how there was like this little downtown area and it's all boating community and the beautiful homes up on the hill. Yeah. It's just like a sleepy. And it's a little peninsula that comes It out, is. Right? It's beautiful. And there's a little bit of history behind that too because it's a it's a part of the military in San Diego that people don't know exists. So there's some really beautiful homes up there that military people live in. Was your dad military? You said he was a pilot, but... My dad was in the Navy Reserves when he was 16 years old. Okay. Um, and he was a private pilot. So he started, um, he, he started flying when he was 15. And he got his license when he was 16, and he used to stunt fly. So he would fly like Red Barons. And do the barrel rolls and oh, yeah. flips and everything. Yeah, that's how he started flying. He must be a wild guy. He was a daredevil. I bet. I mean, <laughs> and he's he's gotten in a plane crash before. He has? He has been in a plane crash. What's that like? He, look, you never met anybody as cool as a cucumber as this person in your life, so it did not phase him at all my mom was in absolute hysterics they couldn't find him for like 24 hours 
because he had to walk away. He walked away from the plane just like, but he had to find, there was no cell phones back then. This was in the 70s. Where did he crash? He was on his way back from Montgomery having dinner. He used to do like, he treated his plane like a car. So he would just fly to New Orleans for lunch and come back. Or he would fly my mom to buy her presents and fly back. She'd go shopping and he'd fly back. Take you up flying? All the time. Every, almost every day when we were like really, really engulfed in. Because I think we had a plane for a while and then we didn't have a plane for a while. He was just doing private and then we had a plane for a while. He taught me how to fly when I was like three years old. Really? Mm -hmm. Could you fly a plane today? No. No, okay. I mean, I was little, but he would let me pretend to take off and then we'd get up there and he'd let me take the wheel and then he'd pretend to land. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun flying. Was it a four-seater little small plane? We had different ones. One of them was a four-seater. I think one of them had like six seats in it. Because there was two up front and four in the back. So, and then when he flew private too, sometimes we would have access to some of those planes because he was um, flying for EMT service and some of the doctors that he flew for had private planes. So we had access to some of those. Is this, this is your real dad or your adopted? My adopted dad. Your adopted dad. Mm-hmm. And now you just had family coming to town. I had my mom. Here to my, Palisade, your mm-hmm. mom, but your real mom. My birth mom. Uh-huh. Your birth mom. Yes. So if you don't mind me getting a little nosy and personal here, that's kind of a wonderful story. It seems like I have some friends that were adopted and would really love to meet their birth parents, but haven't had the opportunity you have. That's amazing. How did that all come about? Well, it took me 40 years to find her. Oh, so you actively search for her. Yeah. I did not know I was adopted till I was like almost nine years old. It's also hard to recollect as a child what the actual timeline is because when you're little, when you get older, you forget a lot of things. Of course. Can't remember anything. No, I know, right? It's like, what did I do? That's what I kind of remember. And I remember my dad like casually bringing it up. I don't think they really wanted me to know. You know, the weird thing is I look so much like my adopted dad. Nobody would have ever questioned it. I mean, we look like twins. (laughs) And we're not even the same, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a... Genetics background. No, we're not. Yeah, we're not the same. Uh, He's Italian and I'm Middle Eastern. So we're not even the same. Like, But we still look exactly alike. Wow. I can see how the Middle Eastern Italian, because you have subtle features. You're not like, I don't think anybody would guess you're Middle Eastern. No, all my life growing up, people always thought I was Italian. I think too, it's nature versus nurture, right? And I definitely... If you're eating the pasta. Nurture, nurture, nurture. Like, (laughs) I don't think anything about me is any different than my adopted parents. So yeah, I found that out. And then um, when I was 11 years old, I used to like to play in my mom's closet when I was little because she was a fancy lady. She had a lot of jewelry and beautiful clothing. And um, there was a lockbox. I found a hidden lockbox in the closet. And there was just like um, important documents, a lot of money, whatever they wanted, you know, locked up. And I found my adoption papers and my birth certificate in there. That's how you found out? No, that I already knew, okay. but I had never seen any documentation. It. it was a closed adoption. And so no details, especially at such a young age, were given to me. It was just you're adopted, you know, and yeah. we just want to. They were, I think they were trying to be open with me and, um, I don't know what the correct time to tell a child that information is, but I'm not sure if that was it. Um, I fully could not understand that and didn't really care. You're 11, right? Or I was nine nine. years old. I didn't care at all. All I knew is these two people were my parents and they were amazing. And that was all, you know, as a child that you really care about. Right. 
and I saw this documents and I saw my birth mom's name on them. And on each document, her name was spelled wrong, or I shouldn't say that they were actually, now I know they were both spelled wrong, but they were both spelled differently. Hmm. And so I start asking questions, you know, I'm getting more curious. I'm getting older and my dad tells me different little details. And so I start to piece together things from the questions that I'm asking, like, where was she from? How did it all come about? She was in the military. She was in the army when I was born. So I thought in my head, well, it's going to be easier to find her. There'll be more records because it, it's government. It's documented, right? Um, so when I started calling around, I called the hospital or I tried to call How the hospital. How old were you when you started calling around? Probably teenager, That's early cool. teens, late teens. I don't really remember. But um, I tried to call the hospital where I was born. It didn't exist anymore. Your hospital's gone? The hospital where I was born. Oh, man. And they, I was born on an army base. Then... When I called, both of the spellings were different. They also wouldn't give me any information about anything because I didn't have the accurate spelling to her name. They couldn't look it up. Were you worried that you might not be received well? By? By your birth mom. If you're going through this trouble to look her up and then you get her number and call her and tell her who you are and she hangs up on you or something? Were you fearful I'm sure different people think about all these different things, right, when they're looking for their birth parents. I honestly did not consider that because I'd never thought I'd find her. So I was so focused on the search that I didn't even think about that. I thought I'm never going to find like, I, this is what I'm focused on. I never thought, will she like me? Will she talk to me? None of that stuff. And honestly, I didn't find her till I was 40. So there were huge periods of my life where I completely accepted that I wasn't going to find her and I forgot about it. 10 years would go by and I wouldn't even think about it. And then something would spark you to yeah. reignite the search. Yeah. Ancestry was a big spark because I thought, oh, now there's people f- catching and tracking DNA. So there's got to be, and I waited. Ancestry was around a long time before I actually tried it. And because I had accepted, I didn't care. You know, you're 40 years old and something had happened to me around my 40th birthday. My birthday's in December and my parents got divorced when I was nine years old and, but they were always best friends. And my dad always said, um, we'll always spend every holiday together. And we always did. And, um, right next after my 40th birthday, I was at my house. I'd had my two babies. They were very, very young. And my mom lived with us at the time. And my dad came over and I think Matt was at work. The kids were at at daycare, whatever. It was just the three of us. And we sat in my living room and wrapped Christmas presents with my mom and my dad. And I thought in my head, what 40 year old woman, whether her parents are married or not, gets to spend this type of time with her parents. It was so special to me. Wow, that's really nice. Yeah. And I just, my parents always, they were, they loved me so much and they made me the center of their world and I appreciated it. I feel like adopt, people who adopt must really love, have that kind of love, right? Because you could see, we know You're a making lot. a choice. You're making it, it's not like it was an accident or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're making a direct choice to take a child and, and they tried for so long to have kids. My mom and dad were 38 when they had me and they struggled with fertility. And it was, you know, so after all that time, they did not give up. They still were like, we're going to have a child. And they really, really loved me. 
And so there was points in my life where I felt so loved. I didn't feel the need to find her. So I just kind of like gave up on it. And then even when I got the DNA, it wasn't easy. No, none of her family was on, um, ancestry. So you can put your DNA out there and ask ancestry to let you know if there's a match. It comes up with certain matches right off the bat. Is that have privacy settings or anybody that have done it can just. It is. I think that you can kind of say, well, anybody that doesn't want to be found should never do an ancestry because I mean, why are you doing, unless you're just looking for family history, you better click that privacy setting off if you don't want to be found. Because I mean, that's kind of the, it's to link people to people. You know what I mean? It literally gives you a family tree. And um, I found like a second cousin. They can tell with that accuracy. They go down to sixth and seventh and ninth cousins. Really? Yeah. So my dad is Middle Eastern. He's Iranian. And there's nobody on Ancestry for me to ever find him. But it shows like my sixth cousins in New York that are Middle Eastern. Interesting. And I can't, I wouldn't know even what to, that's like, Julia Roberts is probably my sixth cousin. That's, you know what I mean? Like that's so far down the, they've never met him. He could have 20 wives. They would have no idea who you are. They would, there's no no way. I don't think, I wouldn't think so. But with my mom, it was her second cousin. And I had her name. I knew her name. That was all I knew. They can tell you whether it's on your mom's side or dad's side? Yes, they do. They do. It's like family tree style. I didn't know it was that. Oh, yeah. Detailed. Not only is it that detailed. It's kind of terrifying. It is terrifying. They're also extremely more detailed now than when I did the test about your heritage. So they can tell you down to like less than 1% where your blood is from. Wow. So at first it came up, I was absolutely 100% 50-50 Iranian and British. And now it's like... Iranian, Turkish, all these, like, there's like eight different ones, Welsh, and eight different ones on the British side, European, German, you know, all these things. Not, not even a speck of Italian. None. None. Not, not a speck. So you're not really Italian. <laughs> no, I grew up, you know, and I always thought I yeah. was, and my, hu- and I'm attracted, my husband's Italian. Like, that is how I grew up. I'm attracted to that, you know? But the stories not, we tell ourselves. Yeah, right? not even a spec. Quick side story. Yeah, when I visited my uncle in Huntsville, actually, I for all my life thought I'm 50% Italian on my mom's side. She's 100% Italian. And I always thought that my dad's side was uh, 50% British and 50% Irish. Okay. So I would be a quarter Irish, quarter British. All this time later, I just go visit my uncle. My dad has passed away in 2015. And I'm recapping with my dad's brother just about old times and i bring up this heritage he's like that's completely wrong what are you talking about like what's wrong i am irish but i'm actually german oh so different god knows what else german and uh, don't german and uh british are much different i would say european white people well what do you do yeah it's all (laughs) i didn't pick it my grandma used to tell me that about italians and germans they what they're the same they're, you know, Northern Italians, and she would always say, and who knows how much of that, she was old and just like talking, but she, because my uncle, my dad's brother, and her have like blonde hair and blue eyes, and my dad and his dad had jet black hair, very dark skin, and very dark brown eyes, and she would always say like, oh, that's German blood, you know, yeah. from 
Well, if you live around the Alps region, for example, sure. I mean, that's shared by Italy, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, France. So. You could say the same thing about Southern Italians and them having dark skin. Like, that could be African. Totally. Yeah. So, it's just, we're all from the same place. We're all humans. Yes. Sapiens. Okay, back to your story. How did you end up? So, the ancestry connected you to a second cousin. You reached out to her. So, I also, so I had her name. I knew what her name was. And I said, I messaged her and I said, do you know Terry Atwood? And she said, um, it's kind of a cool name. I don't, but it's, it, I don't know her, but, um, it, it sounds like it's Bubba's daughter. And so his name was Bubba Atwood. Well, the only way, and this never would have happened had he not been a well-known person. He was a semi-famous high school Southern football coach. So I could find articles written on him in newspapers and things. And that's where I really started to spark, oh, I might actually be able to find this person. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. But isn't Bubba the John of the North? Isn't Bubba a very You mean the South? Well, it's like John Bubba, in the North. Yes, yes, yes. Bubba's it is. a very common name, right? It is. But when I Googled Bubba Atwood, it because came up coach. in droves because he was a well-known person. Got it. Okay. And so I was like, oh, this is actually a person. It didn't come up with like five Bubba Atwoods. There was one, and he was a football coach in Savannah, Georgia, and he had a history. He had been awarded something for the way he coached football, and he was kind of famous in that world. It was I was completely at that point I was sold. I was like interested, done. I'm back to where I was before, right? Cool. Where I want to find this person. And then I saw there is some stuff on Ancestry too where they've got they've got a lot of documents that you can access. What do you mean by that? Yearbook pictures. No. Yes. That and people I, have submitted or they just They them? have from his. I don't know how they get it or how it's obtained, but I typed in some information and her yearbook picture came up. Your mom's yearbook picture. Yeah. Holy shit. And that's when I was like, okay. Once again, I kept kind of getting closer. Wait, hold on. When you saw that picture, how did you feel? It was difficult. I didn't know if that was her. We look nothing alike. You don't? No. She's blonde. So I was like, I don't know if this is her. I'm so dark. It just wasn't. And we don't have any of the same features. I definitely got all my features from my father. So I, you know how you can pay for white pages listings? In the old If you're looking pages? for people, you can find people. And so I paid $99 for this white page listing. And it gives you 100 phone numbers. But I just started calling all of them. Oh, so you paid and they sent you all the numbers associated with that name they had. So what you're forgetting is her name was spelled wrong. So when I found that yearbook and I found my grandfather, I had the correct spelling of her name. I see. So when that happened, I could find her. As long as I could have, you know, her phone number will be somewhere. That's all I, that's what I never had. But are the white pages, are you talking about the old school yellow pages books? That yeah, but online white? it's white pages. Because the yellow pages were businesses and then the white yeah. ones were the residential. Uh -huh. I even think there's a website called whitepages.com okay. and I paid, I typed her name in there and it said, do you want all the info for this person? I pay the $99 and not only does it give you phone numbers that she's been associated with, it gives you the phone numbers of every relative they've ever been associated with. And wow. I just started calling them. What was your pitch on the phone? Well, nobody answered except this one 90-year-old lady, and that was my grandma. What did you say? I said, um, hi. I was obviously very timid and very anxious, and I said, um, 
hi, you know, this is such and such. And I'm looking for Terry Atwood. And she was too. You could tell she was like, why do you want to talk to her? And I said, well, I think she might be my birth mom. And um, she said, no, honey, I'm sorry. You're wrong. That's not possible. And I said, okay. And I asked her five questions. I don't even remember what the five questions were, but they were things that if she said yes to them, there was no denying it. Five questions. You five had questions. Down. No, I just off the top of my head said, is she, is she such and such years of age? Yes. Was she in the army? Yes. Was she stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia in 1976? Yes. All, you know, these five questions. She said yes to all of them. And I said, well, she's probably, I mean, these are the facts that I have and it's, it's all matching up. And she just said, no, I'm sorry, honey. That That's not possible. I, you must have the wrong person. And I said, well, okay, will you have a nice night? And I hung up the phone and I, I was like, um, my adrenaline was sky high. Okay. I was in the laundry room hiding on the phone because I didn't want to tell anybody that I like was doing this because I didn't know if it was going to pan out. And I had been looking for a long time. I run upstairs and I tell my husband, I think I just talked to my grandma on the phone. Like I was like pass out mode. I was like, oh my God, so much adrenaline. And he's like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know you were looking. And I was like, well, I, you know, I white page, I found her name. I did all this. I told him like eight minutes later, my phone rings with a number I didn't recognize. And I looked at the phone and I looked at him and I was like, oh my God. And I answered the phone. Hello. And this lady said, Brandy? And I said, yes. And she said, this is Terry. And we just went from there. He's got a chill. Oh my goodness. I know. She was forthright in saying that, yes, I'm your mom. And She told me a lot of information in the first 30 minutes we were on the phone. She said, I always, so it was a closed adoption. So if I hadn't found her, she never would have been able to find me. She didn't know my name. She didn't know where I went. She didn't know who adopted me. There was no thing for her to look for. Yeah, what does that mean, a closed adoption? You she, The birth mom gets zero information. I see. She, they take the baby, and it, there's no record. So they can never find out where you are. Never. Yeah, okay. She would have had nothing to even go off of. Because you're not even named at that point. No. I see. She so does not know my name. your uh, adoption parents named you. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense now. They just went to the hospital and picked me up, and she never knew any information. Wow. And the phone call went great? Yeah, it went great. She told me immediately, I always wanted you to know that you, your birth father and I loved each other. You were you were made with love. It just wasn't ever possible for me to go back with him to the Middle East. And she just said my dad's name was Jamil Jamili. He was a captain in the Iranian army. She didn't have a lot of information. She said that too when she visited this time. She's like, I'm sorry, I don't know more about your dad. So you never met your dad? No. I don't think that's a possibility. I reached out to an international search service. They never reached back out to me. But I just don't know. You know, it's changed a lot in Iran over the past 40 years and there's just so many restrictions, especially against women. I don't think that that's possible. Yeah. I don't even know if he's alive. He was in the army. That was a big war back then. But he was over here training to be a helicopter pilot. So when you made this call, were you here in the Grand Valley? When you no, f- we were in Panama City. Still in Panama City. Mm-hmm. And so how long after that phone call did you meet your mom? couple months she came to Panama City and she brought my grandma and my half-brother 
with her. Wow. Mm -hmm. What was it like picking them up from the airport? (laughs) I didn't pick them up from the airport. They rented an Airbnb and they all came down for vacation. Do you remember um, the first time you saw her? Yeah, kind of. I came into the house and we all hugged and you could tell that her mother was in, in in a state of awe. Were you like, I told you, Grandma. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. So I she was just didn't know what your what on my best manners. She, your mom never told your grandma that she gave you up for adoption. No, no, no. They made they they didn't make her. That was their preference and suggestion. That was she. I don't think I don't know that she would have done that had they not. Oh. Yeah. So why was your grandma playing so cool on the phone, just trying to? She's a ninety-year-old Southern woman. Yeah, that's a she that's is. a dirty family secret. Yeah, you I know. See. Okay, I'm a skeleton in their closet. Interesting. Yeah. No, I don't know. I she <laughs> she had probably, and you know, too, out of respect, she might have thought, "What if Terry doesn't want to?" You know. Yeah, fair enough. She wanted to talk to her first, which she did, and she immediately called me. Um, I wouldn't know what to say in that situation either because it's not her place. Right. It was my mom's place to make that decision, right? Yeah. So the meet and greet now, so that, that meet and greet went well. What did you guys do when she just visited you here? We just hung out. I mean, went I'm always to interested lunch. what people do when their family comes to the to We didn't do any. She babysitted the kids one time. Okay. She loved hanging out with them. She came over for dinner. I was also sick the whole time she was here. Right. So that was a big she old bummer. She didn't stay with you. No, she's not that. She's very independent. She really like when she, and I knew that about her because I had seen her twice before when, and she had come and visited me. She likes to stay in her own place and, um, go off on her own and do things. And she went to Rifle Falls by herself, but she kind of had said that. She's like, I kind of want to do my own thing some. Yeah. Would you now having gone through this, encourage other people in your situation to pursue? No, not at all. No? No, uh-uh. Just because I think people should do what they feel is right. I wouldn't encourage anyone because it's not my place and everybody's situation so different. But you found this rewarding. Are you happy that you... I'm happy that I did it. I wouldn't say it's... I don't know if I, that's... I wouldn't use the word rewarding. I think it's slightly awkward regardless of how you slice it. Even if it's positive, right? It's still a little... Also, I lost both of my parents very close together two years ago. And this was, it's, she's not a replacement for that in any way. Like my parents who raised me, who loved me are my parents. You know what I mean? I do. She's my friend and I enjoy her company. Do you call her mom? I do not. You do not call And her I mom. would not. Okay. Mm-mm, that's not okay. My mom like really, really, really loved me. And she raised me. She deserves the right to be called mother. And I, I appreciate that even more now that I have children. Because I the way I love my kids, it's not, there's nothing like that. And I know my mom loved me that way. She would have done anything. She would have jumped in front of buses, taken bullets. So she have, reserves that. Do you have any guesses about how your birth mom feels? Have you guys any, had any conversations about this? Does she feel regret or awkward or she doesn't seem to and I don't think that she should regret anything I think that and I know this might sound (sighs) pompous or 
if I was her, I would look at me and say, man, I made the right decision. Because I've had a great upbringing. Um, Both of my parents were absolutely fantastic. I just would look at me and be like, wow, like she's in a great place. Right. Versus what may have happened had she stayed. And I'm sure, I'm sure it would have been fine. But what happened, it also turned out really, really great. And so I just think that she should be proud. And just happy you're happy. Absolutely. That's how I feel. What more can you ask for? You can't. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I feel like a lot of people out there would resonate with that. And I actually know, like I said, a few personal friends who are going through this process. and They're trying to find someone? Trying to find, yeah. Yeah, or thinking about it or all the stages you mentioned. Yeah. And it's difficult. As someone who was not adopted, it's hard to even fathom it, right? Yes. Just, okay, my mom and dad or my actual mom and dad, I don't feel. Yes. That's complicated too, of course. It's Uh, so complex. And there's also feelings that you don't know that you have until after the fact. Because I had told my husband, like, you get caught up in this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You don't realize how you're going to feel after you actually do it. And it all comes crashing down on you. And you're like, wow. I didn't realize I was going to not feel this way or feel this way. I had zero expectations, and I think that was the problem. That was the problem. That's yeah. usually a good thing. Not in this situation. Free and easy. Not in this situation. Why? I wish that I would have thought about it more, how I was going to feel. Because what happened was is I had um, not bad feelings, but I had feelings about it after the fact that were just like sad stuff about how th- – you know, my parents aren't here anymore and how much I connected with them. And I tried to find this other person to make a connection all the while I had my parents. And it's the same, you know, how when you're growing up and you fight with your parents and they say, you're going to know how smart I am when you turn about 25 years old, you get older and you realize how much you appreciate your parents. But I never considered having any of those feelings. And so sometimes when I talk to her, I leave and sometimes I feel guilty because you're talking about your, the, or I'm your with, mom and dad. yeah, yeah. I like I don't, I never considered I was ever going to have those feelings. Yeah, or maybe you offend your mom by looking for your birth mom because your mom's like, they, so they never knew. So they okay, you kept it from them. That's probably smart. Did I told my mom, um, and then my dad found out. Neither one of them seemed to be that bothered by it, but I'm sure they would never say anything to me if they were. I don't think they would be bothered. I think they would obviously respect your journey. But say you met your birth mom and then started to uh, romanticize her and talk about her in all these ways. I mean, even when my parents were divorced, my mom was very sensitive to me talking good about my dad. I went through that too because my parents were divorced. So I get that. Right. It's it's tricky. You're in the middle. You are. Yeah. Unfortunately. Sometimes caught in the middle, which is not good. But what an incredible journey. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some more fun stuff. The wine. wine. How did you come to, you were in California obsessing with William Hurst. Oh, so I, then... I kind of retired from my job and said, I really want to focus on wine. And um, so I quit my job and opened a wine store. Just like that. Just like that. It was open in three months. Really? I quit my job and I, yep. Did you have any experience running a store before anything like that? Or was it a big leap of passion? No, I didn't have any experience running a liquor store, but I had been like a manager at retail 
places, like um, one of the interior design firms I worked at had a retail aspect to it and I managed there. It's not, it's not hard. The retail side's not hard to figure out. It's just a lot of logistics. It was just the wine. Yeah. How do you select, how did you just select what wine stuff you had personally tasted in Cali? Yeah. So that was our part of the mission statement behind we were a small boutique wine store and what it was was it was a curated selection by me I reached out to all the distributors I tasted all the wines and I was what I was the person suggesting things to people and so they could come in and know that I knew a lot about wine and that I could suggest things to them I want to say we had like 120 labels so it was still like a good selection I really got into canned wine when I was working there because in Florida, there's a lot of boating and outdoor. And so there was this part where people, because we were right next to the marina and a lot of people would come and we can't take bottles of wine on the boat. And that's where I kind of started to get into natural wine, which what was the name of the store. Mother's Wine Market. How did you come up with that name? Right before I quit doing interior design, I had this brilliant idea I really wanted to start a nonprofit organization. The whole premise of it was like about mothers giving back to mothers. Because when I worked for my dad for a short period of time, every Christmas we would adopt these families that were not so well off and we would bring Christmas gifts to them. And I wanted to expand on that with mothers reaching out to other mothers that weren't as fortunate and giving them emotional, financial, all types of support. It was basically like adopt a mom. Like other moms supporting other moms, right? I love that. Um, and it was called Mother's Love. And so um, we were coming up with names for it. I just kind of said, well, I can start this business and I can call it Mother's and then maybe I can umbrella the nonprofit underneath this. Um, and I also liked the name. I thought it was cute. And I'm a mother. Yeah. And all mothers need wine to deal with their children. My and sister I just, can confirm that. Yes. She has four kids. So. I, I met them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yes, right. Yes, I did. Yeah. And she does need wine. She does. Yes. <laughs> she does. <laughs> but in a good way. In a good way. Yeah, we all Celebration do. Celebration of life. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Or tolerance. Tolerance. Which is, hey, it works. Drinking builds tolerance. Uh, drinking wine makes you more tolerant to your children when they're throwing tantrums. Yes, it really? does. Uh, it, proven. <laughs> Fact. Right here. What if it makes you kind of angry? It, well, I mean, it doesn't make me angry, but I guess some people, everybody deals with alcohol differently. That's true. Yeah. But Good tip, though. I'll write it It's down. supposed to be a glass of wine, not two bottles of Fair wine. Enough. Yes. So the store went well, though. You had it success. did do well. I just started to pivot into natural wine more. Um. I have a passion right now for natural wine personally and um, both of my parents passed away suddenly and we, I thought I would live in Florida for 10 more years. Neither one of them was sick. So when I opened that business, I fully had every intention of owning it forever. Um, and then when that happened, I just was going through a lot and I knew we were never going to st stay there for the rest of my life. And we thought we loved it here. So we bought a house here. Because you were back. here previously. We were here we previously. You were mm -hmm. in oil and gas too? Yes. Okay. I worked in the oil and gas industry um, in Grand Junction. We lived in downtown. This is a beautiful area. It's also a really great place to raise kids. Lot to do. Yeah, lot to do. Yeah. School systems are definitely better here than where we were living in Florida. So I just really wanted a change. Did you just close down the shop or did you sell it? I, my partner assumed it. 
so I kind of moved on so from it's it. It's still open now. We can go visit. It's not open. Oh, yeah. Bummer. I know. It's going to add it to my next itinerary. I wish it was that still would be cool. open. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, now you kind of work at another wine store. I do. I work so at a winery. How did you end up in this position? Your manager. I applied for manager. a job on Indeed. Okay. The same way everybody finds jobs now, right? Yeah. That or LinkedIn. You wanted to come back into the wine industry. I did want to come back into the wine industry. I was afraid. I didn't want to just like be a server in a restaurant or a bartender at a restaurant. It's nice to be at a wine a place that's more focused on wine because people are asking questions about wine. If I was a server, I would be asking, answering questions about food and wine. And it's nice to be a place where you feel like people care about wine. You know, they're not just at dinner. I just didn't want to be in hospitality. I wanted to still be in retail in wine. But my understanding is you came into this project pretty early before it was even before, named. Mm-hmm. Before it well, really no, it was came. named. It was named. Already. It was named. That was pretty much it as far, I mean, as far as I know. Okay. Tell us about the name. Duroco Cellars. Yeah. So they named it based on deep rooted community. So it's the first three letters in those words, which I think is great because we are right off the interstate. I personally feel like it is a gateway to wine, Palisade wine country. We get so many people. And if you, I feel like, especially after owning the wine shop too, I love to educate people about wine, but also see people's eyes light up when you talk about wine. That's like my niche. And that's what gets me off about being in the wine business. And so for me, all of these new people, they might, they might be coming from the interstate just looking for fudge from the last place that was here. But if I can get them to do a tasting and just talk a little bit about wine and get them to be interested in wine, that's, that's great for me that personally. And maybe I, they'll go explore more. I love it. Or... I love it. And you guys have all local wines here, right? All local wines, okay, all so Palisade wines. Tell us about the concept. We have 10 of our own wines. We have like two red blends, a white blend, a Merlot, two pet nats, which I was ecstatic about to come on and have that in the portfolio because that's really like my jam. And then we have two pear wines and a peach wine. Are yeah. these being done in collaboration with another facility? Uh-huh. Where are these being made? And some of them too, like when Plum Creek closed, they liquidated their inventory their portfolio and we got some bulk from them and we're able to blend it Mm -hmm. yeah super cool Mm -hmm. now you guys have food now we have food a food program we do and we have sandwiches salads we have a lot of appetizer-esque like meat and cheese board and but i feel that it's wine related type food it's more of an italian mediterranean Flair, it's good. It's food that goes good with wine. So not Southern comfort food. Oh no! Come on. No. We need a good fried Southern chicken and pet here. nat. I always yeah. wanted to have that party. Why not? Oh, I think we should. should It'd be a great here. way to sell our pet nat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I love fried chicken. Can you make it? I don't make fried chicken. That's an art. It's an art. It is. Where's your favorite place in the valley? There's so, you know. no. You know who had good? Well, and did you eat the Southern Bell biscuits? I never did. No. <sighs> and that's a great. That's probably the best biscuit I've ever had. Is that a restaurant, Southern Bell? No, the the, the food truck. Oh, I never had she it. She was at Bluegrass Festival. I thought you saw her. I'm sorry. I didn't see it, mm. no. It, she's, goes to, she'll be at Farmer's Market every Sunday. Okay, cool. So you'll have to. Do you eat, I mean, I don't know if you only eat grass eat or, anything. okay. <laughs> I'm not that hippie. I'll eat anything. Yeah, really anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, she has a fried chicken biscuit. And so her and her biscuits are amazing. I didn't have the chicken. I had like a true Southern girl at heart. I had the jam and fried egg biscuit because my mom always used to get that. Because in the South, gas stations sell biscuits and really? fried chicken and JoJo's. And, and not like we think in the North of gas station food as being horrible. No. Uh, I guess Royal Farms. Have you heard of that? That's changed no. things up North. That's a big gas station chain and they have amazing fried chicken. Oh, good. Yeah. Up north, good fried chicken. Well, you might not like it, but for us Yankees, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, so you can stop it. We always used to stop. Like, we'd be going to Florida from Alabama and stop at the Tom Thumb and get fried chicken and JoJo's. What's a JoJo? It's like a potato wedge. Different places have different potatoes, but they all have fried chicken. And then there was a gas station up the street from my mom's house that we would go every Sunday and get biscuits. And she always got jam and fried egg biscuits. From the gas station. From the, Oh, and they are amazing. Really? Amazing. Why but are, I think in the South, like, I don't know about now, because I haven't lived there for a really long time, but I think that when I was a little kid, side of the road food was a delicacy. I mean, we got boiled peanuts from the side of the road. We also used to have the best, like, side of the road produce stands in the South. My grandma used to sell pecans off of the front porch. I mean, you would go places and like you could get, and there was a, this is the best story. When I was growing up, we walked to school and there was a nursery, like a plant nursery on the way to school. And there was this old man that sat out front on the rocking chair and he, after school, we would walk by and he would make us tomato sandwiches. Really? Uh Uh-huh. He would cut fresh tomatoes for all the kids and he had a big old pack of Wonder Bread and he'd slather mayonnaise on there. And he would make, he would give us all tomato sandwiches. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Nowadays, you'd never be allowed to do that. Or no, the but news. there was food like on the side of the road everywhere. We would get shrimp off the side of the road. And what changed with that? Hmm. Probably regulations. <laughs> <laughs> we would get oysters off the side Nobody of the road. Nobody was dying back then. I don't know. I, I mean, boiled peanuts was like the thing. I've had boiled peanuts. They're really, really good. So good. Yeah. And I wish that we could, I know you can probably get like green peanuts because you have to make boiled peanuts with green peanuts. So they're not fully ripe. They're still green. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. So you can't just buy them like ballpark peanuts and and boil them. No, you can't just buy like dried peanuts from the store and make boiled peanuts. You need to get them fresh. They need to be green. And also when I was little, when you would go to these produce stands and buy boiled peanuts, they would be in these big like, and the guy would scoop them out and you'd get them in a special paper and... I, my, my cousin Russell worked, I think at one of those produce stands when he was younger and we would go up there. You'd walk to these places too. And if you're little, like people just give you samples of stuff and you also buy fresh field peas and, you know, and every Southern woman shells her peas. Hands them out. Yeah. It's the whole thing. You have, you have like really great childhood memories. I love the South. Have you been back? Not since we've been here. And I don't know, you know, I, there's things about it I don't like, too. I love the West. I think the people out here, in my opinion, there's less drama. There's, you know, I just, I really like that. Um, I do miss the camaraderie of the South. Everybody, whether they know you or not, everybody knows everybody. And you're just over at their house. And when I was a kid, Thanksgiving was 40, 50 people. Because it's your... 50 people? Oh, Yes easily how many turkeys Multiple. well different people bring different turkeys and you also eat different turkeys in different styles 
you have different dressings. It's not stuffing. In the South, it's dressing. Stuffing is called dressing? It's called dressing. What do you put on your salad? Salad. Oh, you don't eat salad in the not South? Not at Thanksgiving. <laughs> no. No? Uh, we did. I don't remember ever having salad at Thanksgiving. I don't know. Did we have salad? I just remember dressing. And then my aunt would make um, three dressings. We would have three different dressings at Thanksgiving. One with um, chitlins, one without chitlins, and then one without onions for one of my cousins that didn't eat onions. What's a chitlin? Chicken innards. Oh, I see. Yeah. Giblets. So what do you think of Palisade? You have, I love it. You were up in Napa, which is obviously an iconic wine country. So two different places, but in a, a great way. Yeah, you know, tell us about it. What it hasn't been as commercialized yet. And there's still so much farmland out here. And I feel like here it's a difference between like, obviously Napa Valley is not, and Napa itself is not a big city, but the people, you get more of a big city mentality. Whereas out here, it's more of a country mentality. It's farmers. It's people that are actually working the land. It's people that they care so much about the products that they're giving you and because they're all working and it's nice to have that mentality. It's almost like a Southern mentality, right? Like people are so much nicer and more inviting here. Yeah. It feels like a small town. I it does. Well, Napa, it is a small town. I'm saying making a comparison and Napa is a small town too, kind of, but I haven't been in 10 years. I'm actually going this weekend for Bottle Rock. I'm excited so for you. I'm, excited I'm very jealous. Kind of get another glimpse of it. My remembrance of it, it didn't feel as communal. No. It, it was a small town in the sense that it, it's a small area, but it yeah felt much more commercialized, discovered. Everybody there was kind of into more of the financial aspect of the business. Yes. I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm and sure there is snobbery around wine. wine we all know there, that. But... We're not, it's not a secret that there's snobbery around wine. And I think Napa's kind of probably the crescendo of it's that. the hub of it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they'll let me in the doors there or what should I? You're going to have to cut your hair. I guess so. No, yeah, People they in don't. California have long They're hair still, now. it's still California. You'll be fine. I think I'll be all right. Yeah. Just so. as long as you're talking about Cab Sauvs and Chardonnays, you're all good. Those are the two two things I should. <laughs> oh, be no, I'm kidding. Okay. I don't. We just have such different wine culture here, and we have such different grapes here, you know. And I didn't know. That's one of the things I love about Colorado wine country, is that there's so much different stuff. I feel like in California, certain areas are indicative of just like that one grape, even though they have a bunch of different stuff. When you're in that area and you're a tourist, you're really like Paso Robles, Zinfandel, Central Pinot Noir. Cabernet in, in Napa and but there's so much other stuff out there but they don't talk about it a lot because there's a ton of wineries making Syrahs and all these other grapes right but here there's such a crazy variety and such a cra such crazy um, varieties of grapes and, and we talk about it a lot there's hybrids here there's fun stuff there's different stuff it's just nice yeah I'm interested to see what happens because I do want to kind of troll when I'm up there and go to some fancy winery. You should. Like, yeah, I'm from Colorado wine country. You should. We're actually doing really well. and Just see what their reaction What is. town is that festival in? Bottle Rock is somewhere outside of... My understanding it's in Napa. It might be on the outskirts. I can let you know. I'm just wondering if it's like how close it is to Yountville. Which oh, is... Yountville is just north of there. And so it's kind of between Napa okay, and so, Yountville. Okay. Because that... I've been, so I've spent a ton of time in okay. Napa and Sonoma. I remember when I was a little kid, because my parents went to Napa a lot and Sonoma area, we went to a winery that um, where they filmed the opening scene for Falcon, not Falcon, was it Falcon Crest? 
one of those 80s soap operas. And my dad bought like cases of wine with the logo on it. Because in the 80s, they all loved like those dynasty shows. And he brought it home to all of his friends and was like, the place they filmed Falcon Crest, you know, whatever, which I don't even know. I'm sure that's still there. Maybe it maybe it's still a winery. I'm not sure. But um, I don't even know if it's called the same place. But I've spent so much time in Napa. And, I, you know, like one of the first times as an adult that I ever went to Napa, I really stayed in Yountville because I was so like, you know, cake bread and like all these places you see in liquor stores. And I didn't know a lot about wine then. So I was fascinated by all these big wine names. Go to the source and yeah. see what it's all about. I was like, oh, because I had sold cake bread as a server and um, it, was an, it was an $80 bottle of wine. And back then that's a lot of money for a bottle of wine in a restaurant. It's 25 years ago. And so getting to go to that winery, I was just like, oh, starry eyed and Farniente and nickel and nickel all right there in Yountville. And it was just such a beautiful experience. Okay, and then, you're going to have to write some recommendations down for me so I can find my way. I just did. I was telling you my cousin's going there, I think next week too. And I did a whole itinerary for her of places to hit up. Because there's also like where the Coppola Winery is, that northern area where there's a lot of cool wineries. Cool. Yeah, that you, a lot of people don't hit up. They're more focused on those. And then I remember the first time I went to Opus One. Opus One. How much does it cost to taste there? Well, 12, 13. How long have I been married? So I've been married for 12 years. And I was married to my husband prior to that six years. So what? 17 years ago, it was $20. You tasted one wine. Wow. And that's when tastings were starting to rise in price a little bit. Because when I first started drinking wine, a lot of tastings, you go to places, they were free. Right. And then they kind of got like five bucks. And then they kind of went to seven and then it was 10 and you were like, whoa, um, especially in Paso Robles because we started tasting there and they were really getting bigger. I remember we went to a lot of places. It was free. Yeah. I remember that too. Out, uh, San Inez outside of Santa Barbara. I, love I was Santa used Inez. to free or $5 or do the tasting. And if you buy a bottle, then the tasting's comped. No yep, big deal. Exactly. I actually got into a little tiff with Joe Flynn about this on a previous episode because he believes that all tastings should be charged because it represents the value of the wine that's mm-hmm. being sampled, which I understand. But I'm also, as a consumer, like, it's so much more fun to just go in and taste. And that's what I don't I have a, I don't care or have a preference either way, actually. I think that the winemaker should make that decision. And I don't know of any tastings that are free anymore anyway. I can't think of any in Palisade. Yeah. I know that some, if you're a wine club member. Yes, you that's different. wine all year from them, things like that. And uh, some of those have changed. I remember when I first went to Hess in California, that was also a big starry. Not only that's another really cool thing about Napa and Sonoma. You go to these wineries and they are estates and they're huge. I mean, the Hess had a, an art, a beautiful art gallery and they're real. Go to Coppola and it's, it's an, a whole entire, they have a restaurant and um, you can see like the desk from the Godfather. I mean, these are, it's like Disney world for wine drinkers, right? Yeah. It's rolling hills of wine country. Oh my gosh. And these, these estates are these mansions and these properties. And um, I remember we went to one place and they had a car museum. We went to another place and they had like, I mean, it's literally like the Disney World for wine drinkers. These places are massive and they're historical. You go to like these old barns that have been there since the 1600s and people have been making wine. It's it's amazing. Do you think Palisade will become something like that? I don't think that, that that's the goal. Not for, I, It doesn't look that way to me and that wouldn't be. I think the goal here is to make great wine, 
get more visibility making great wine. And really, I think we have a different level of customer service. I think we're more homey here, more inviting, and we want people to come in and taste our, our, you know, what we've produced. I think in Napa, it is, it seems to be to me more financially driven and not that people don't want to make money here. It's just that there just seems to be more of a sense of like a lot of times when you go in, like let's say you go to Sauvage, let's say you go to Vine 79. Those are the winemakers pouring your tasting. Right. Are you getting that in Napa? Probably not. Pro- most, no. I mean, I think I've been, and that was, like I said, probably 12 years ago to a place in Napa where I might have met the owner of the winery. That wasn't the winemaker, but I, one place ever. I don't think that's a thing. So your tastings here, are they all your wines? Or are you guys tasting others throughout the valley as well? Both. You, both. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool. You guys are in a unique position with your tasting room to do obviously your own stuff. But if you did a tasting lineup that just represented wineries here in Palisade, but on either the same grape or just like a white flight that's all from different places because we do do that you do do that we do do that awesome Mm -hmm. that's so cool because if people come off the highway let's say and they don't know where to go and they stop in here not only are they going to get a great experience here at this winery but then they're exposed to so much more that's what that's that deep-rooted community that was the whole point is for us to act as a welcome center and then we give them a map we tell them like I say, for instance, Colorado Cellars, right? We have a Cabernet Sauvignon of theirs on our tasting menu. I said, you know what's really cool about Colorado Cellars? They um, have been around since 1978. You can go up to their tasting room and taste an 84 cab next to a 2020 cab. That's a cool experience. You should go do that. Here's directions to there. You right, know? So you're actively promoting Absolutely. other wineries. And that's kind of unique because the wine community works together here, obviously, but walk into another winery. I don't know if they're necessarily, it wouldn't come up, right? Cause they're not, you're only tasting stuff from there. So it's not that you're going to pass on to other. I wineries. said that to Robert, the assistant manager the other day, I said, I don't know that I've ever been to a place ever anywhere that does what we do. A market, a wine shop, wine tasting that has other people's cause you go into a wine shop, you might taste, there might be five different wines you taste from five different places. They might not have their own wines. They might not have food. I don't know anybody that does everything that we do. Cool. Are you thinking that locals are coming in now? Is it mostly tourists still have locals? Because I know I live right across the street, so I'm privy to a lot of this, all the sign changes that went on and just the opening and the construction. And a lot of people are like, all right, what has become of the old St. Catharines? Yeah. You guys feel you're past that now and really hitting your stride? Yes and no. I think by default, we're always going to have more tourism. I mean, and everybody, I kind of went around before we opened and talked to a lot of other wineries and said, you know, jump me into the gang. What's the deal here? And there's a season and there's an off season, right? And during the season, it's all tourism. And we really all live for that season. Um, So we're going to have tourism and that's going to be. But I think we have been so well accepted and so welcomed by the locals. But that's all because of James. Because he was our, he's a local. Yeah. So he's not, it's not like we're, we're just open to new business. It's not like we're an outsider coming in or we're opening a new business. Nobody knows who he was. He had an established business already. Right. For those that don't know, James Sanders owns the Peach Shack. 
Right. Is also running this operation here. Right. And he's done so well with the peat shack. Yes. I love it in there. It's represents so many local businesses and obviously very popular with tourists, but who can blame them? If I pulled off at a road stop and there was a gas station there and then this cute little farm stand, I'm going into the farm stand. A hundred percent. total sense. And it adds so much character to Palisade that we wouldn't have otherwise. Because when I first bought my, my house, there was no peat shack there. And just you come off the highway and it's just the gas station. It's like, what is this? And nobody would really even, people did, but I guess less tempting to, to venture into town because you're just hitting the gas station up and to its credit, the Golden Gates got a lot of stuff too. Yeah. Uh, that you, it got everything you would want to need. And right? it's an obvious great location. The Happy Camper obviously thinks so. They're doing it. But I'm just glad that the Peachack's there because it actually represents Palisade. I and agree. as soon as you come in, you have that. And now you have Taroko here and St. Catharines did a great job before that. I'm just glad it's kind of stayed in the same. I agree with you. Because there were a lot of different rumors about what this place would be. I know. Like. And I think that's another reason why we've been well received because people are relieved, you yeah. know? What it could have been. Yeah. What if it was another gas station? What if it was a subway? Oh you God. know, I mean. Could you imagine if it was no, a gas station? No, no. And, and this building, I think too, everybody had, you know, people get invested. It's like the blue pig or like, you know, people, they, not only do they want to know what's going on, but they want their community. People don't like a lot of change. They want their community to stay the same. And the fact that just another wine place went in, I think was a relief for a lot of people. And it's another place for them to go because Palisade is a small town. There's not a ton of restaurants here. There's not a ton of places. And there's a lot of well-kept secrets in Palisade. There are. There are places to go that people don't know about. And so when something came in, it's another place for people to go eat. It's another people, place for people to go drink. There's more happening now, right? Yeah. I think a lot of locals probably discovered you guys during the bluegrass. Back yes. Because you had a live band in your yes. event space, which was amazing. I loved that event. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys have made a lot of improvements to the main tasting area. You added the garage door. Yeah. In the back, so now it spills out onto the patio. That wasn't there before. Nope. And that's going to be an amazing five six o'clock seven o'clock sunset patio yeah and they're redoing that patio a little bit too to make it a little nicer we put umbrellas up and tables out there and i just think that people in palisade need another place to party <laughs> right because we don't have enough drinking places and i love I, I mean wine is such a wine's a more relaxing alcoholic beverage just in its vibe yeah. it's such a relaxing it's not like you know, you can go drink margaritas and get wasted. You can go drink beer and have the same exact glass of beer. There's thousands of different wines and it's a sipping and it's a relaxing and it's sitting out on the patio. And I'm so glad to live in a place that people love wine because it's such a great culture. What is uh, your favorite wine from Duroco? From Duroco? Yeah. I think the Merlot, the Pet Nats, the Aramella, the White Pet Nats, my favorite which it's an unpopular opinion only because we don't really, people don't know a lot about those types of wines. And so it's not like our biggest seller, but it is to me, I, just, I love carbonated wine. I love sparkling wines. Um, and I love white wine and I love natural wine. And so that's the only one that we have that kind of hits all those for me. So that's my personal, but the Merlot is probably my like favorite traditional wine. You guys should make some kind of secret item for locals. Like you just talked about local secrets. You guys should have one too, if you don't already. 
It, we do. It's called the kombucha peach spritz. Oh, there you mm-hmm. go. Nice. It yeah. is good, though. It is good. Yeah. Let's talk about a porch founder. <laughs> <laughs> and I, there are there is also something to be said for low alcohol wines. Like it's a whole movement now. Low ABVs. Yeah. So and both of our fruit wines are low ABV. Um, the kombucha spritz is low ABV. People I'm on like the low ABV train. I really. <sighs> Like in a per, yeah, me too. Yeah, in a personal way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah it's nice to it's be nice. able to enjoy because I like the taste of most things I drink. Me too. I'm not drinking just like the college days to shotgun beers. So I'd love to have three of them, but if it's going to make me feel horrible the next day, then I also don't sometimes do it. I don't want to be drunk. Yeah. Like. Well, I realize I don't like being drunk at all. <laughs> I like the process of getting drunk. It's fun to be so buzzed. true. It's fun to have that first yes. one or two. You start to feel good. Once you're drunk, it's just you're at the end of the road. That makes so much more sense. Some of my friends call me like the one drink drinker. And that's why. I never have to get it's fun, but then I don't have to like get more drunk. You're able to just have one? I prefer one. Prefer it's one. not about ability. I fully prefer to have one glass of wine. I love to have, my favorite thing to have is one beer because I'll cook dinner, especially if I'm making tacos or something and just have one beer and it relaxes me a little bit. But if I have two or more, I'm just always like, why? Now I feel a little more tipsy than I wanted to, or I, I don't feel any different at all. Like, what's the point? It I takes just... wisdom to get there though. For me, I can have one drink at home, but weird enough when I go out, that's social drinking. I, That's totally understandable. Or I want to try something else they have. Mm-hmm. If I just have beer in the fridge, I most likely had most of them. So yeah. Yeah, I'll just have one beer where I'm cooking or one cocktail and that's it. But I don't go out that often. So when I do, yeah. I want to have two or three and try things. What do you do? You have two or There's three and <laughs> just suffer the consequences. Well, Brandy, I really appreciate your time yeah, sharing thank all your you. stories. Thanks and everything. for having this me. This is great. It's cool to be here at Duroco. I can't wait to see what you guys make of it. And I hope everyone listening will come check it out and ask for you some of that Southern hospitality. Yes, thank you so much. All right. Bye, everyone. Yes, now I'm riding the terrain, flying high up once again. Got my crew sitting healthy and my boo living wealthy. Level 99, never settle in my mind. So I pedal and I climb up the pedestal and find Mighty weapon, so I calm lightly step into the castle, satchel, tackled, wrestled down the corridor where I'm grounded through the floor, round house into my core, down out and through the door, sword down in my side. I gotta round up and ride, face boss, break jaws till I take off, face off, stop and swing my serious strike. This is it, take the title, disappear in the night to the whole wide world. Got the keys to the kingdom overseas with the wisdom guarantee.